I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello, it's Tom Gibbs here. Before we get started with today's episode, we wanted to address a horrible Saturday for football, which began with a troubling health scare for Glenn Hoddle and ended with a helicopter accident at Leicester. Our chief sports reporter Paul Hayward went to Leicester on Sunday and he gives us his thoughts now. We talk a lot about football bringing people together and sometimes it can sound hackneyed. But on Sunday morning, Leicester City fans all wanted to be at the King Power Stadium to give thanks and pay their respects. The first thing that struck you, 12 hours after the inferno of the night before, was how close the wreckage was to Leicester's stadium, in a car park, a stone's throw from the stands. You could smell aviation fuel from the fire that killed Leicester's owner and four other people when the helicopter that was meant to be taking them to Luton Airport fell from the sky an hour after the 1-1 draw with West Ham. On the drive up, BBC Radio Leicester interviewed fans who said they saw the fireball, fans who refused to believe the news, fans who dissolved into tears on the airwaves. This was a city in shock, and not just for the football club. Five people had apparently lost their lives in an air disaster so close that Kasper Schmeichel, the goalkeeper, ran from the players' area to the scene of the crash. And while we waited for names, the fans came in their hundreds to the floral shrine next to the club shop, where they celebrated the most miraculous title win in English football history, only two years ago. Almost all the messages I read said thank you, to Vishay Srivadhana Prabha, the chairman and owner, who turned a mid-rank East Midlands club into English champions. Thank you for what you did for our club. Thank you for making our dream come true. Two years ago, these fans saw Leicester turn the world upside down. Now Leicester's world was the wrong way up. The memory of Saturday night will never leave Leicester, but nor will the love of their fans. A podcast like this isn't a brilliant medium to discuss something so tragic, so we will leave it at that. But as I hope goes without saying, everyone here at The Telegraph sends their best to all involved. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to the club. Telegraph Audio Football Club. On the podcast today, Arsenal stopped winning, but does that mean we need to disembark from the Unai Emery excitement train? An audio trip to Merseyside as Liverpool continue to impress and Manchester United stake their claim for a hallowed Europa League spot. Plus, a look ahead at the time of recording to Spurs versus Manchester City on Monday night. Mina Rizuki dissects El Clasico and JJ Bull invents this year's must-have children's Christmas toy. 
Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by the pulsating tactical brain of JJ Ball. What's happening, JJ? Uh, intro, yeah, I know. Pulsating, <laughs> but not a wizard or a magician nope, or nope. anything professory. I think that's probably good. Are you well? Yes, I'm very well, thank you. Good, glad to hear Fantastic it. Fantastic results yesterday. Yes, absolutely. Alongside JJ, it is this Earth's greatest advocate of a nil-nil stalemate. Mina Rizuki, how are you? Absolutely. <laughs> I like a good defence. I'm good, thank you. How good. are you? Yeah, I'm reasonably well, thank you. Slightly worried about my voice, but let's hope we can get through the next 45 minutes. Also, finally, it's the world's greatest man. Always a pleasure <laughs> to be joined <laughs> by Jim White. introduction. <laughs> I want that. Right, I'm off. It doesn't get any better than that. Thanks, Tom. Are you well, Jim? I'm very good, thank you. Good, good. Let's let's just take a moment to note no Matt Law this week. Too embarrassed to show his face after Villa were beaten soundly by QPR in the Gibbs Law derby. <laughs> uh, let's move on to the Premier League and Arsenal. Um, an eventful game at Selhurst Park, ending two all uh, between them and Crystal Palace. What did you make of this, JJ? Well, I was live blogging the Chelsea game at the time, but I had my eye on this Arsenal good. game. Yeah, so that's a good start, but I've uh, gone through it quite comprehensively. Um, it's a weird one, so it I, th- I thought Arsenal were due a little bit of, not comeuppance, but there was going to be a game that they get f- not found out in either. Some team was just going to get them. They've been playing very well, they've been getting away with a lot of results, I think, but they've got that 10 wins in a row. And uh, Palace played nice football, they came out attacking, it was more of an attacking kind of shape from Hodgson, played some lovely tippy-tap football. Um, and they got away with a few <laughs> bits and pieces in that game um, Mustafi's decision making is next level uh, diving into slight tackles in the six yard box next corners. level good or bad? well I like it I'm all for it I liked um, Alexandra Lacazette's basketball assist for Aubameyang's goal that was excellent as well I don't know how he got away with that um, and I think Palace deserved a point out of it Roy Hodgson said that they maybe could have got more but I mean the draw is probably fair Wilfred Zaha riles some people for some uh, perceived uh, uh, going over too easily shall we say um, any suggestion he was at it again a little bit on Sunday? I thought first of all that he it was definitely not a penalty and then Xhaka came out after the game and said, I oh, yeah, it definitely was. I thought it wasn't a penalty too, but then he came out and everyone was like, oh, <laughs> so good of him. And I'm like, what? When it's so clear, people are like, no, that wasn't, you know, that was such a lie. He totally died for that. But this, this to me, didn't look like a penalty. So I was really surprised by his post-match comments. Can I ask one thing about uh, Arsenal? Am I alone in thinking Unai Emery is an absolute ringer for Alan Partridge? There's something about his mouth... <laughs> And on the game, on the touchline, he was getting more and more partridge. He was getting really worked up. And his mouth was getting tighter, like partridge does. Just have a look at him next time. Seriously, he looks absolutely like him. <laughs> He's going to add a whole new level of enjoyment. Uh, I'm, not saying, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying that uh, in, in any way competence. We're not talking competence, just visually. It's his mouth. I don't know. I don't get it. But I'll I'm have a look, look now. I will now. We, do, we should do a side by side. Yes, yeah, yes. Doesn't work so well as a podcast, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> on, on Emery, the winning streak is over for Arsenal. But overall, the Emery effect's kicking in a little bit quicker than we would have expected. I think they're playing very, very good football. Much more progressive uh, than we saw under Wenger. There's less of that kind of lingering um, than, than driving forward. And he's sorted out the midfield um, in, in a way that Wenger never seem to quite manage to do the other thing I think that Arsenal fans are are really interested in is the fact they're progressing and doing really well when they haven't got Ozil and Ramsey together that seemed to slow everything down and Ozil appears to have been slightly um, put on the front foot 
by Ramsey's absence. It's it's an interesting dynamic there. Yeah, Ozil was brilliant. And um, was it the European game when he was? I can't remember which game it was. The last game I saw him, saw him in, he was outstanding, um, and he was captain that game. And then this time he got hooked uh, against Palace. He just wasn't doing what he should be doing. He's doing a classic Ozil performance where he's amazing one game, and then the next he just isn't involved whatsoever. I, I like he reacted quite well to that substitution. Oh, well, uh, yeah. Um, I, I like what Emery's done with Arsenal, where Wenger didn't have a single holding midfield player. Emery has two. So they've got lots of uh, lots of defensive shield. They've got Torreira there, and they've got Guendouzi there. It's forced... No, no, Xhaka's out in the left for uh, other reasons, but he's doing okay as a left-back, weirdly. Yeah, terrible fullbacks. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to play with two different. I like their fullbacks. Do you? Yeah, I think going they, forward, they, they but bit, going yeah. back, you like them. Exactly, they needed coaching, and they didn't. Um, they went forward too quickly under Wenger, and both would go forward. Monreal and Bellerin would both go forward, and then because they didn't really have that six sitting there to drop behind between the centre backs, that's where they were always left. Mm. And I think that's why Wenger went to that three-man defence originally because it gave them more solidity. There was just simply more bodies back when they eventually were caught out high up the pitch. And Emery's got that the balance really good, and I really like Torreira being there as a just looking after the defensive part of it. And I think Guendouzi's done very well since yeah, coming in; he's really grown. Um, and they, they look really solid. Yeah, I like them a lot now. Torreira doing so well for Arsenal that the fans have adapted an old Patrick Vieira chant for him, which is some compliments. Shall we talk now about Manchester United? Uh, a win against Everton, but Romelu Lukaku was dropped. Was that decision vindicated, Jim, in, in the performance? Oh, well, I don't think uh, Jose Mourinho had any other choice. The interesting thing I think about United is that the the two players who are absolutely key, the two purchases he's made um, are Nemanja Matic and Romelu Lukaku, absolutely integral to the way he plays. Neither of them are, uh, are really singing. Um, uh, and, and Lukaku particularly is off note. Uh, he had to be dropped. He, he was playing so badly. I mean, the, the, the old George Best thing about um, he, he can trap a ball further than I could kick it. Um, uh, is, is absolutely writ large with Lukaku. His touch was being awful this season. Yeah. I like him as a, as a as a person. He's a very intelligent man. He's a an interesting man. Um, but as a player, he's been awful this season. He he really could not continue. In the system that um, that he'd set up, I, I think a lot of people have been saying maybe the best thing is, is to put Alexis Sanchez through through the middle there instead because he's been sort of completely anonymous when he's been playing wide. But uh, yesterday, uh, Mourinho preferred to put uh, Marcus Rashford through there. Not wholly convincing, but certainly a lot more convincing than uh, Lukaku's been. And then poor old Lukaku was given sort of twenty minutes to prove himself and. Failed miserably. I feel I feel sorry for him. Actually, there's a great um, article on the on the Telegraph website that talks about how hard it is to be a striker for Manchester United, considering the style of football that they do play under Mourinho, and what is expected of your striker. Um, and while I agree with a lot of that, what was said, I still can't help but think Lukaku is not doing a great job uh, going forward. What I think is so interesting when you have someone like Mata on the pitch and you do have runners in Martial and Rashford is that you can utilise that space. You can utilise their pace and allow them to just, you know, set them free, launch them forward. And there's just a lot more mobility. And that's what you get with Rashford. And he's still young and he can still be developed. And having them on the pitch just allows a little bit more unpredictability. And I do think that this is this is what makes 
or breaks for Mourinho, in my opinion. Like, when you have a good coach, you're somebody who can take a team and bring out the best in them. What he's doing is he's been really dogmatic about a defensive approach. And now he's starting to perhaps allow his some of his best better players to come through. I think Matt has really been important for them. I think that he totally unleashes them. I do think Lukaku perhaps just needs a rest. I don't know what it is. Or maybe he just needs to feel like his position is is something that could be taken away from him and that will bring out a different uh, player in him. I think it's all the build-up to Lukaku. He's not, got enough, he's not getting enough touches of the ball. He's not getting the ball in areas where he should be. When he does get the ball, it's because he drops out of position. So then he's not there to receive it in attacking situations. What I liked about Rashford in that game was... Um, so Mourinho's... Tactics, I think he needs an out ball, so he needs to be able to play it into the channels so the striker can chase it. And uh, Lukaku often gets branded as a target man, but he's not. He's like a, he's a goal poacher, really. You know, he plays off the shoulder of the last man. But he doesn't, I don't think he runs as much as a player like Rashford off the ball. And Rashford, it was just all that first half, which is like racing up and down the channels to win the ball. And it takes a team up a few yards. It's like rugby almost. You gain 20 yards, 30 yards every time. And that kind of worked. I I really liked him playing under Van Gaal through the centre. One other thing, you just mentioned Louis Van Gaal. And just by sheer chance, towards the end of Louis Van Gaal's uh, reign, he had a front three of Rashford, Martial and Lingard. And obviously, when Mourinho came in, he thought, "Well, they're not good enough. I'm gonna, I'm gonna change this." And so he brought in Lukaku, brought in uh, Ibrahimovic, and eventually brought in Sanchez. I think that's their best th- front three, <laughs> and I think that's what may happen with maybe Mata, uh, Pogba, and Matic behind them. I think that's I their best approach. Yeah, you could certainly imagine that front three being a sort of flexible unit, a little bit like Liverpool's, um, who also registered another good win this weekend. Uh, Ten more points than they had this time last year, so doing extremely well. But 4-1 against Cardiff. Is anyone left feeling a little bit cold by these games this year? Uh, It doesn't really feel like there's any competitiveness between the very best teams in the Premier League and the uh, big heap of not very good teams (laughs) at the bottom of the Premier League. I thought it's the best league in the world because everyone could take on everyone. I have not said that, Mina. I have not said that. I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. I think it's Serie B. You know what I thought was really strange is um, on Match of the Day when they were talking about Cardiff, I, I just remember watching this game and thinking, oh my God, this is this is about the worst defending I've seen in a really long time. I mean, there were just moments. It was I think it was Bamba who just didn't even bother with Shakiri's goal. Like, it, the whole thing for me was just like, what's going on? And everyone's like, yeah, they were gritty. You know, they created chances. They weren't bad. Like I could see Cardiff really, really going forward with this. And I, I thought I was watching a completely different game. So... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, for me, this was, it, it didn't even, you didn't even need Liverpool to be at their very best in order to win this match. There is such a huge disparity and, and a gulf in quality between these two sides. But, and I, what I didn't, what would really annoy me as if I supported Cardiff is how Neil Warnock was just such a nice, chirpy, happy fella after the final whistle. One of the reasons why I wanted Gianluigi Buffon out of my team was because he smiled after a loss once, you know, and I'm just thinking this... this <laughs> is so you a legend, Gianluigi Buffon smiles once yeah, and you want him gone. Yeah, I was like, what off. is this? I was yeah. like, where is your competitive nastiness, you know? <laughs> I like my team to be a little bit like Sergio Ramos, always out for a fight, you know? And I just thought the whole thing, if you're accepting a defeat like this and you're like, yeah, well, you know, this is Liverpool, then... I think he knows if he tries to take it seriously and tries to win, he will go insane. Like He'll, he'll go mental. So he has to... 
He has to be like, oh, it's fun, isn't it? It's losing 3-0. <laughs> Look at the fans. Look at their smiles. <laughs> all the time. But that's what he's that done every week. So well he's always, like, I've always really liked Neil Warnock, not just because he, <sighs> he's... Uh, he, he, well, he gave me one of the best well, the best season I've ever had as a QPR fan, which is, mm. obviously makes me incredibly biased. Aww. But I've, I've always thought he's a little bit cleverer with that stuff than people give him credit for. When when you expect him to be most angry, he often has come out in the, in the post-match presses <laughs> and played it down. I remember there was a game of a playoff semi with Palace when a Bristol City uh, Bristol City had beaten him and there was a pitch invasion and I think a Bristol City fan like got very close to him and, and gave him a little bit of a wallop and you would have expected him to be apoplectic afterwards and he was laughing it off so I think he's a little <laughs> bit savvy than he gets credit for with how he He had a right yeah. old turn didn't he last season when Cardiff and Wolves had a, a, a game yes, and he, yes. he got really furious with Nuno as mm. uh, um, a disrespectful and so on and, and looking at the footage at the time I couldn't work out why he was so angry mm. So you might be right. It yeah. might just be a bit more tactical than we give him credit so you for. You just like him because he's unpredictable. <laughs> <laughs> he's, a, he's definitely street smart. Like if there was a fight between all the Premier League managers, he'd be he'd win it by staying out of sight and sort of nipping in and yeah. digging. Leaving heels. Sean Dyke to pile <laughs> yeah, in. Yeah, right. and he's like, "Come on, Sean, get him!" And he'd, like, he'd be doing voices like, "Who says you're rubbish?" It's <laughs> like, "Oh, who said that?" And I think that's why he get. I mean, he's clearly good at setting up a team defensively. But um, I don't think that should be particularly hard. You just make them hard to break down, and then you get some all fired up, good old, good old British spirit. Come on, lads, that kind of thing. I, I don't. Yeah. I mean, not... Marnie just literally ran through that defence. Yeah. I... The best thing, <laughs> the best stat of the weekend, which is in Monday Morning Football and Telegraph website, is a so number one hundred and twenty, which is as many passes as Cardiff completed in this match. That is nine more than Wijnaldum had in the same game oh. <laughs> on his own. 111 for wow. Wijnaldum. Wow. 120, of course, is the BPM for most disco music as well, which yes. uh, leads me neatly on to Chelsea versus Burnley. Uh, a musical <laughs> game up at Turf Moor. Uh, you were there, Jim. Uh, an- another one of these sort of very, very good teams facing a not very good team. What did you make of it? Well, what really disappointed me, I thought Chelsea were great. Uh, you know, they, they didn't have Eden Hazard, but they managed to not worry at all about that. But what really surprised me was how poor Burnley were. I mean, going back to what you were saying about the disparity between the top and and, and the middle and the bottom of, of the Premier League, it, is that it's become suddenly much more obvious because Burnley, a couple of years ago, would never have rolled over and, 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 and died like they did uh, yesterday against Chelsea. They'd have really been up for it, really fighting. But again, like Neil Warnock, Sean Dyche afterwards was basically saying, well, what do you expect? They're much better than us. I I found it very surprising how weak they were. Mm -hmm. If you want an absolute contrast, I'd love to know what the stats are here. Um, I was uh, was making a comparison in my head as I was watching uh, between N'Golo Kante, God, obviously, uh, and Jeff uh, Hendrick playing for um, uh, Burnley, who Kante we know has the ability to be in the right place at the right time, always. Hendrik is the complete opposite. He has the ability never to be in the right place (laughs) at the right time. I mean, it was quite extraordinary that if he had any kind of, you know, stats about um, the distance travelled, it was always running back at the wrong time. I mean, it was was an extraordinary gap between the two. And I know, you know, perhaps it's a bit unfair World Cup winner against occasional Irish international, but if you want a real summation of the difference between the top of the table and the middle and bottom, it was there in the performance of Hendrik and uh, Kante. You see, I I don't have any issues with you having... 
you know, you're not beating Chelsea. I don't have any issue with that. One thing that I love about the Premier League and is, is one thing that I think they can be really proud of is everyone usually always really tries hard. You know, the attitude of the players. It's all about getting stuck in. It's all about like caring about your team. What I just thought was really strange is how many, how often nowadays that we're seeing people just stand off defenders, defenders just standing off and allowing strikers to either dribble past them or have the space and time to operate. I don't understand why Jorginho was allowed any room to manoeuvre. There wasn't somebody who was trying to close the gaps. I don't, you know, obviously there's going to be a distant, a, a, like a huge difference between the quality between the two sides. But at least if the, with a little bit more effort, I don't see why Burnley couldn't have done a better job than this. You're absolutely right there because both Willian and Ross Bartley scored basically by carrying on running, nobody stopping them and then thinking, blimey, I'm right by the goal. Oh, I'll yeah, have a shot. I'll have a shot. And you're talking about great players who you know as soon as they have a shot, most likely or not, they're going to get it in, you know? Fulham ripped apart again at the back, this time by Bournemouth. Uh, we, we should give Bournemouth their due. Um, they look a level better this year. How, how have they done that, do we think? I think it really helps that uh, 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 Wilson's fit. Um, you know, he spent much of the uh, last two seasons um, with uh, injury problems. And, and I think that when you're looking at the, the, the lower tier of the Premier League, the teams that survive and thrive are the ones who have a finisher. And and he he's really on fire at the moment. And, you know, they've got very, very good uh, players behind him who have really come on. Brooks looks a great little um, player. But I think it's I think it's just having someone to finish it all off makes the difference. I do think in general, I mean, this is a born with her a very well run club, obviously. And, and I think that there's so much that Fulham can learn from them. You know, as a side that's just newly promoted, they started their first match in the Premier League with six, six deputants, I think. Whereas, you know, Bournemouth can still rely on a core that they came up with. And I think that chemistry and understanding between the two and obviously having stability in a club where each, you know, we spoke about this with Newcastle last week when we were talking about problems with clubs and, you know, what I love so much about them is that they have a man in charge of scouting, a man in charge of this. They have European um, understanding. They've travelled. The sporting director at the time had travelled to Germany and seen how they run their clubs in, in Germany and, and travelled to Spain and seen that in Portugal. So he had the experience of knowing where to delegate and who can concentrate on what tasks, which is what allows Eddie Howe to flourish, I think, and, and how players can can really come together and be this group where they can all sit around and actually speak to each other and tell them, you know, home truths. Like, I don't, I need you to do this and I don't like it when you do that and I feel more comfortable in scoring a goal when this goes through. There's genuinely seems like a family atmosphere there. And what I love is that you can really clearly see when there's a space how quickly they are there to exploit it, how they notice each other's runs very quickly. And there is a good attitude. There's no space left uncovered. There's no passage of play that they don't try to intercept or stop or block. They, they have a good reading of the game and that comes from the unity within the team. And that's one thing that you can, it's hard to build and create if you don't have a good structure at the top. How do you think Howe would do if he was taken away from that structure, if he went to a club which didn't have such an impeccable structure? 
This, I have absolutely no idea because I think that his job is hugely facilitated by the fact that Bournemouth is a great team and he does have that support. I remember when they were trying to come up, they didn't want to rush their promotion going forward because they wanted to make sure that everything was in the right place. That is going to make his job a little bit easier, obviously, as is working with great players who are happy to do everything for him. He is skilled enough, he's tactically intelligent enough, and he knows how to respond and get the best out of his team. It's not easy bringing that core forward and making them so good. But it remains to be seen that if he is in an atmosphere where things are falling apart at the top, you know, or there is huge pressure on actually winning rather than just demonstrating great football that he might not necessarily make it. Let's move on to Watford 3, Huddersfield 0. A wonderful solo goal from Roberto Pereira. De Feu's not bad either, shortly afterwards. But I imagine you might have something to say about the defending in this one, Mina. I, I, I can't. I mean, I know that Pereira is a really good player, don't get me wrong, you know, but the fact that he can go on this Maisie run and not a single person is there to stop him. And, and for the second goal, I think that some, the defender actually puts his hands up in the air and is like, oh, I'm not touching him. Try to touch him, you know? Like, at this point, I don't care. Get the red card. At least look like you care. The the fact that defenders are not even allowing players to... There was five. There was five in front of Pereira that he had to get past, you know? He doesn't have... I know that he has good feet, but he doesn't have... He's not Lionel Messi. There is still an opportunity to stop him. The midfield does so little. It was was Chris Lowe at the beginning who, who... does a good job going forward just at the back that I don't understand. Nobody wants to take, to actually duel with the players. Jonathan Hogg, who basically rolled out the red carpet at one point, I just sat there and thought, is there any competitive nastiness? And I do think that that is what you judge players by and what you judge teams by. And if Huddersfield want to continue like that, what I don't understand is they do have a good attack and I do think they deserve goals because they actually play such good football when they're going forward. And I think they... You know, although their quality of the final ball is not that great, but the defending, the the inability to actually stop players who aren't even necessarily God given talent is is astonishing. I feel like I already can't remember who all the Huddersfield players are. <laughs> like I watch them, and I don't know who they are. Oh, I remember him. It, it's like a pub quiz question, and you go, "Oh yeah, that guy. I remember him. He was nice." Philip Billings, okay, that guy, sure. <laughs> Push him over, there, uh, legs, something. Offer some sort, or at least just block him with his with your body. I don't know something. They are one of about half a dozen teams looking pretty awful. Huddersfield in the main, the results have been terrible. The performance is not a whole lot better. Who's going to end up as the worst three in the league? Do we Fulham. think Fulham? Fulham are also uh, right in it, aren't they? Uh, so that's one Fulham. You, you said Cardiff were down already, JJ, about, oh, gone, yeah. about two months ago. Uh, but the, it's it's really open. Oh, well, I can't see Huddersfield escaping, but then, you know, you, you, you look above them and you wonder how several other uh, teams, Southampton, how are they going to get out? They mm. can't score a goal. I mean, uh, th- there's a lot of teams in, in that kind of... Uh, bottom. We used to talk about a marzipan layer. I'm not sure what the the layer is that falls to the the very bottom of the baking. We need a great British Bake Off um, uh, fan to come up with a metaphor here, but it's the sludge at the bottom. There's a huge number of these teams, so it'll probably make it quite exciting at the end of the season as they slug out nil nil draws between them. Those will be the the, the moments and. You, you you really think? Look, okay, they've all they've all thrown up their hands and they say, well, we're not going to beat the top six. So they've really got to get points against the teams in between. And when Huddersfield are quite as pathetic as they were against Watford, where are they going to get points from? 
But there is something about Huddersfield that I don't find, weirdly enough, as awful. I know defensively they're very bad, but as a unit, if you just make them a little bit angry at the bank and perhaps force them to actually obstruct the opponent, you know, and maybe stop, I don't think that they're as as bad as, as but, all the but rest. But, Mina, that, that, they are, their team name is Huddersfield Nil. So how are they going to actually <laughs> get any goals? Yeah, you're right about that. This is the thing. You're right, because their final ball is also tremendously awful. So He's uh, he's changed the tactic a bit, um, uh, David Wagner. He's changed it from the style of play that got them promoted and did them well in the first half of last season because he realised that they kept losing and the best way to do it is to defend and hope to get those 1-0 wins. And he's gone against his principles, which he should never do, but he has, and that's why probably one of the big reasons they're struggling. I think Southampton are probably okay in the end because they'll have to punt Mark Hughes and get in a manager. And then, uh, they, uh, yeah, I agree that Fulham are in a bit of trouble, but they'll be good after Christmas because they're better after Christmas. Let's check back in then on those teams. Uh, a word for Glenn Murray as well. Reached 100 goals for Brighton and Hove Albion. How many more goals will Glenn Murray score for Brighton? I want a guess. I want a, a firm guess. Nine. Nine more. <laughs> he, he, was, he was very keen uh, that all this kind of fuss around getting past the 100 was out and back. And he felt that, you know, he could progress. And, you know, he will hit the dizzy heights of 103, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> wow, all three. I'll go for four. Four more goals. Wow. Okay. We're gonna we're gonna record this, uh, which we are doing. Yeah. Hopefully. And, uh, <laughs> I hope. If we're not, uh, <laughs> we'll revisit it. We'll revisit no, it. No, he, he did. He is. He is very good. He's brilliant. I mean, uh, Palace fans must be tearing their hair out to see how he has thrived. They they probably all thought, no, no, Palace, we're moving on. Murray's old school. Uh, you know, he's he's a bit past it. He's getting on a bit. Yeah, yeah. Brighton, pathetic. Yeah, send him off down there. Um, and to see him flourish like this must be really furious. Imagine Newcastle kept Chris Hutton. You know. Well, that's uh, absolutely. Hutton is brilliant. And, and, and actually, I think the thing about Brighton is going back to Mina's point about the way that Bournemouth uh, are, are set up sort of through the club. That looks like a club that is properly, properly run. And I'm just reading this book. It is actually 45 years since the greatest managerial appointment of all time, Brian Clough taking over Brighton. Um, he won the title uh, with uh, Derby, taking them to the semi-final of the European Cup, and then goes to Brighton, who in those days were sixth bottom of the old third division, so League One. Uh, and he, he, he took over Brighton. And um, let's just say that the organisation at Brighton wasn't quite what it is now <laughs> in those days. <laughs> Let's look forward to the Monday night football between Tottenham Hotspur and Manchester City. Um, I was at Wembley on Sunday for the NFL football match, the other football. Uh, the pitch is not looking good. It may surprise you to learn. Um, how much do we think this really affects a game? Uh, well, I've been thinking this. I'm going to this game tonight. And I hope it's good because both teams want to play with the ball on the ground. But as I know from experience playing Sunday league games, uh, if there are bobbles and muddy bits, you can't just rely... On your touch, you can't rely on the pass going where you want it to go. It stops and you playing your natural game, yeah, exactly. JJ, which is very much on the deck. <laughs> well, you know, like Zidane, but better. <laughs> and if City want to play that um, the, the way they want to play and pass it around, then it's so difficult because you'll have a little 
random variation thrown into one of your passes, which means it could go somewhere else, which means both teams will probably be looking to play on the counter-attack or the counter-press because there'll be something loose along the, fi- the, the final third that they can take advantage of. I don't know what's going to happen tonight. It'll it's not going to advantage it. either side, no. though, is it? Because both of them play... Proper yeah. football on the deck. So I think both managers will be thinking, oh, my word, looking at that pitch. Um, uh, somebody on social media um, on on Twitter um, posted a tweet saying, uh, I'd really like to see a few more pictures of the Wembley pitch. It seems to be <laughs> the meme of the day, isn't it? Everyone was taking pictures of, of how bad. They, but it was already in a right old state because of the Anthony Joshua fight. That had started it before you had uh, the NFL games on on, on it. And it, they, they've churned it up um, massively. Is it the middle of the pitch that's most? It's it's a strip right down the middle, right. uh, which is where the majority of play happens in an NFL game. And, and they're, they're, they're big boys, uh, so they've, they've done yeah. some damage. I quite like the the look of quite a sort of uh, retro pitch. I think there's Graham something, uh, there's something so quite exciting about, about it. it. <laughs> he was like, yeah, well, in my day, you know, you, uh, you can see the um, his eyes lit up with the romanticism. I'm like, think of all the horrible tackles. Yeah. <laughs> think of how many men I can name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the thing is, though, City, um, as they demonstrated against Liverpool, are a very adaptable side. And I suspect uh, Guardiola will have worked out a way um, that they'll do it. I don't mean by that that they'll be hitting long balls um, up to uh, Sergio Aguero in hope, but I, I think I think of the two, they're probably more adaptable. They played long balls over the top in the last game that uh, City won three one at Wembley last time, and they were because Spurs played a really high line. And so they were just pinging it over the top, and that's how they're getting in. And then I guess if it's just bouncing around, they can get it. Yeah, I, w- I want to see how Spurs, you know, go out with this. You know, are they going to do? Are they going to try to press high up the pitch and win the ball back, and you know, leave spaces at the bank potentially for the fast players that City do have, or are they going to play a little bit deeper? And I, I just think you need to go and attack that defense. Personally speaking, I don't know. For me, this isn't the Spurs side that looks that great. You know, I know that they haven't lost many games and actually they've had a really good start to the season despite the fact that they didn't buy many players to to in- increase squad depth but this looks like you've seen their performances in the Champions this, League this is their first big test really isn't yeah it? so we have to see I want to see how they're going to actually go out and, and approach this game I think Pochettino is very good on a tactical level does he have enough to destroy this team and how good are they a song for Europe with Mina Razuki. Uh, tell, tell us about Europe, Mina. Uh, it was the first Classico on uh, this weekend without Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo since 2007. How was it? How did it go? <sighs> this was, um, well, as you know, Barcelona completely thrashed Real Madrid. And, and I and I feel like the scoreline doesn't actually tell you what happened in the match because in the second half, Real Madrid were so very good and had Luka Modric not hit the woodwork but actually managed to score um, after Marcelo had gotten his goal, uh, then they could have, you know, eventually even led. But uh, sadly, their heads dropped. Karim Benzema also missed a, a huge chance. And Real Madrid literally seemed to basically roll over for, not literally, but for, for Barcelona. This was a really interesting thing because firstly, without Messi, everyone's like, oh, how is Barcelona going to operate? Actually, really well. I think Luis Suarez is almost flourishing in the ability to be the man who everyone looks to, who's guiding the front line. He's been in terrific form, scored a hat trick. He was excellent in the Champions League with that beautiful assist for Rafinha's goal against Inter. He's been at his very best and I don't think he's deserved some of the criticism that he's gotten. More importantly, I thought tactically the 
this was very interesting. And I thought it tells you a lot about Lopetegui because he realized, you know, there was issues there. Rafael Varane had to be taken off. And so he changed his forward line and made sure, sorry, his back line and made sure that the fullbacks pushed really high up the pitch. And there was so much movement that Barcelona didn't know who to mark. So you could see that Madrid were on top. Interestingly enough, after the match, rather than say, yeah, this is what I noticed, so I changed the game tactically, he just came out and said, well, Varane was injured, so I had to change it on the bag. <laughs> and it was like, don't, don't say that. <laughs> What's wrong with it's you? It's like he's lost hope. Is he off? I mean, it seems like it's dead man walking. I feel sorry for him, if I'm honest. I know that it's obviously looking really bad for them at the moment, but I, I do feel like they've got many reasons to be upset. They lost Ronaldo. Gareth Bale can't seem to play 90 minutes for them. You know, Benzema's missing great chances. Marcelo's just come back. They don't have Danny Carvajal, Rafael Varane and Luka Modric are half the players they were last season. But I don't know. I mean, you know, no one survives in that role. But who do they bring? Antonio Conte? Do you really want to play for Antonio Conte? I think Zidane has uh, do, produced an absolute masterclass in, in leaving a post at the right time there. Yeah, he Real, saw this happening because this, they, they, they were, were 17 really points bad. behind last season yeah. in the league. And like it, it's gone under the radar almost. That's massive. I know because they started the league but you know why because they're only what how many points off well now they're seven points off Barcelona yeah. but because they weren't that behind because Barcelona haven't been that great the fact that Deportivo Alaves is doing so well is a bit like what's going on you know but I do think that Zidane saw this in the league last season he realised that the team didn't seem to be that motivated in certain matches and really only excited about Champions League games and he could see something was changing and he wasn't being offered the support that he needed to change that around and so decided to leave. Yeah. Also, that game is important because there was a VAR decision, you know, in the classical now. So that's interesting in the highest stage, almost of all the world. Was Cup, it correct? Obviously. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, someone tweeted me earlier saying that the thing with VAR is it's going to ruin Sergio Ramos's career. <laughs> People are so harsh about this guy. I feel so sorry for him. I, I still that. think he's one of the best defenders in the world. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Another weekend in the Bundesliga and we're talking again about Jadon Sancho. Uh, two more goals. Are Borussia Dortmund fans in deep love with him at this point, Mina? I think I'm in deep love with him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he scored his first Champions League goal again, against Atletico Madrid. Once upon a time, the greatest defence that there was in the Champions League. Um, he's just been in sublime form. He's a top assist maker at the moment in the Bundesliga. He seems to have the intellect and the the dynamism and the understanding of football to know where to position himself, how to score goals, how to provide for his teammates. He's exceptional. And I think the very fact that he is being trained by Lucien Favre, who's nothing short of a genius when it comes to exploiting the talent of youngsters, is is huge for him. I, I, I think I said that for you guys last week as well. Um, it's a shame because he could have had a, a, a hat trick, but uh, a back, back heel flick was ruled offside. I don't know. It's just his, his ability to control, to control games, to control long balls, how to interchange with the teammates around him he is exceptional and what about Thierry Henry first points on the board for him as Monaco manager is that is that going to end happily do we think is that a good a marriage made in heaven or a yeah. uh, move for tax reasons it's <laughs> <laughs> awful okay firstly it was Dijon um, which isn't a great team but listen I'm I was no, I'm the wrong person to ask because I wasn't happy with this move in the first place not because of anything but because I'm a huge fan of Hardim and I think that he should have been given everything he wanted in order to make sure that Monaco was a team to continue to support and watch. Uh, I do think that they've changed the way that they started to scout talent rather than buying players who are on the cusp of greatness. They're sort of 
buying potential talent now. So it's much harder to extract the best out of them. Golovin is back in the squad, but I mean, this is a, a bad squad. There's a lot of mediocre talent if, if we're not in, including some of the big ones there, like Falcao, um, and if they're not available. One of the reasons why, from my understanding, that Henri has been chosen for the role is because on one of the press conferences that Hadim gave, there was only 10 people, 10 journalists available uh, to actually record what he he was saying. And they just looked at that and thought, no one cares about us. You know, PSG's getting well, all no, that. No headlines. one goes to their games, do they? Well, have you ever been to a game, though? No. It's, I, I, I went to see... Um, Monaco against Lyon uh, a couple of seasons ago, and it is one of the weirdest experiences. Yeah, you it's could, really bizarre. You could go through, uh, the, you know, huge open spaces. Uh, you sit in one um, stand that's got half a dozen tax exiles in it um, who aren't watching the game. I mean, it is completely bizarre. And is it on top and of what, the car park as well? Yeah, well, yeah. it is. It is the old idea of sort of approaching the stadium as this great central focal point of a city. You know, the kind of Newcastle thing. You you suddenly, oh, hang on. Oh, is this the stadium? Oh, no. I thought it was a multi-story car park. I mean, it is very, very underwhelming. Um, but the experience is completely bizarre. I, I cannot understand uh, what Henri is going to get out of uh, this. I mean, it's a really he's good trying car to bring, park, so. Yeah, he's trying to bring advertisement, I guess. Everyone is now interested in Monaco again because everyone wants to see what Thierry Henri is doing. And I guess that's one of the main reasons he has this job. I mean, more power to but him. Then I it hope been, he but but then, I mean, it would have been that wherever he went. You know, yeah. had he had but he got Monaco a, wants that because they don't want to be. The oh no, Monaco wants. I can see why yeah. Monaco want him. I can't see why he's gone there. I mean, wherever he goes, he he's going to be the centre of attention. I think could have had the Ipswich job too late now. <laughs> of course. You're listening to the Telegraph Audio Football Club, part of the Telegraph Podcasting Network. To find more of our podcasts, just go to telegraph.co.uk/podcasts. JJ Ball, it's that time again. Please tell me your, what your cleverest moment of the weekend was. Do we have Sting music for this yet? Uh, we can, we can. We, what Sting song do you want? Oh, I did, I, well, a song by Sting would be good. <laughs> I was about to say. Fields of Gold. Well, the cleverest moment of the weekend is um, Chelsea's opening goal against... Um, that team they beat, who was, of course, Burnley. Uh, Burnley, that's the one. Um, it's uh, it's because of Ross Barkley. He's become very good all of a sudden. Um, but it's uh, Ngolo Kante gets the ball. He runs forward. He it points to Barkley so he knows he's getting the ball. Passes to him, and then Barkley takes his first touch. Is a little. Um, he, he slows it down. There's I can't remember what the word is. It's a Spanish word, but they were always referred to Raquel me. Like he would slow down time almost. That's about tempo or something like that. But then Barkley just slows down ever so slightly, and it wins him a little yard of space. And he flicks it to the side with his left foot and plays a through ball instantly to Morata, who finishes. It was just really nice. It like was. A, it was beautiful to yeah. watch uh, uh, live because um, they seem to be. The, the Chelsea seemed t- team seemed to be on a on a different kind of time span. It was it was almost like um, a, a sort of Doctor Who plot where <laughs> half of them were on a different different time level. It was amazing because it actually looked very slow, but it wasn't. Yeah, but it, was it was like bullet time spot. in the Matrix. It is exactly like bullet time in the Matrix. Just another thing we should uh, we should definitely mention as part of a cleverest moment was um, Paul Popper's penalty run up for. Uh, <laughs> When Jordan Pickford saved, I mean, it looks disgusted. Uh, I can <laughs> I only imagine. Like, honestly, just hit the damn ball. Already. Did you, did you well, see the what? video which uh, showed it being slower than the time it took Usain Bolt to win the hundred meters? Yeah. <laughs> what? what was it? Is that right? Yeah. Is that true? But, but, but why does he do that? Well, I think it's so. I think it's so he can get to the when he gets to the ball. The keepers sort of 
dis- he can work out where he's going. I he's think it's a nonsense. By then. <laughs> um, but I do have a theory that perhaps Ed Woodward is telling him to do it because then they can sell Pogba action figures that they wind up for Christmas. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, they would just like walk slowly across the table. And that's I mean, that's a, a great marketing, marketing idea. Yeah. With, with, and well, can... My phone's vibrating. It's Ed for you, JJ. <laughs> oh, hi, Ed. That's your lot for this week's AFC Tea. Contact me on Twitter if you want to. Before next time, it's at Tom with an H Gibbs. Do remember to subscribe to the podcast. Search for Telegraph Audio Football Club. You will find it. I guarantee it. And if you leave us a witty review on Apple Podcasts, I'll absolutely read it out and induct you into the AFC Telegraph Hall of Fame. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.